Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Hello, Father Paul. How's it going? Morning, Joey. I'm doing good. Doing all right? Doing great. Hey, we got a new setup. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. We're in this really acoustically fantastic room. I guess acoustics don't matter so much for podcasts, right? E- yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> you just revealed who is the uh, audio-visual person of the podcast and who is uh, the brains of the podcast, which is you. I'm an uh, ideas guy. Are you? Because I no, feel like I'm, I bring the ideas every time. Um, we're actually in one of the rooms here at St. Anne's because youth ministry is ultimately moving into another space that's not ready because of a lumber or flooring delay because of COVID. So we have to move into a temporary space where we set up just a bunch of round tables around. And so this morning, we'll probably be in various spots. It'll be like, where's Joey and Father Paul each week on the podcast? So I like it. You should definitely subscribe to our YouTube page and tune in that way so you can see where we're at around the parish. Yeah, and then you can you can sort of place your bets as to where we're going to be. It'd like, be great. Yeah, we can make a whole a whole sweepstakes out of it. Is that what those are? A whole game. Game. Let's say game. Yeah, we'll say game. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> we know. <laughs> um, so today's our question edition. Mm-hmm. Right, new chair. You all right? Here? New chair. Yeah, I got strings on my cassock. This is the one that's a little bit fancier with Ooh. the strings. You're um, like new space. I'm going fancy today. Fancy, but this chair has arms, and so it wants to catch the strings. I know. Also, I'm not used to like turning my. It, yeah, we're th- uh, we're throwing all off. I'm turning left now to look at you. You have to turn right. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, let's jump into the questions. We got some. Good ones today, as always. So, all right. First question. Deb asks, one of my Protestant friends told me that by displaying or wearing a crucifix rather than a cross, we Catholics are proclaiming a dead Jesus rather than a risen one. I've always looked at the crucifix as a reminder of the sacrifice Jesus made to save us. Mm-hmm. But her comment did get me thinking. Why, during the mystery of faith, during Mass, do we say, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again? We don't mention the resurrection at that point. Why? Well, let me... Okay, Those are two questions. Yeah, two, two good questions. ones. Two good ones, because we just, you know... I'm a little confused by the last one, because the response is, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Maybe maybe they forgot that. So, good reminder. We yeah. do. We do profess that. So, second part of the question, done. 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 We're answering ones quick today. <laughs> <laughs> First time. Um, yeah, and the crucifix, like, I've heard that before, but I just, I think people need to get over themselves a little bit. Like, okay. What do you mean? Well, sometimes you'll get people who will fixate on one aspect of the faith to the exclusion of the others, um, and then we'll we'll start like driving driving a wedge, right? Okay. Like that logic, when you first hear it, kind of makes sense. Okay, cross 
for the risen Christ, crucifix for the the Christ who is who has died for us on the cross. Right. That kind of makes sense, but like it's through his passion and death that we're saved. First of all. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're grinning. Oh yeah, we just Oh. <laughs> These lights are motion censored. <laughs> So lights are slowly going to turn off in the office as we hear. We'll just start waving. Yeah, we'll just start Um, waving our lights. It's fun. So yeah, it's, I mean, we have a, we have a strong understanding of the salvific value of his passion and death. And I think Protestants do as well. And that's where I'm a little confused. Right. Um, But they don't display crucifixes. Yeah. They don't display crucifixes, but it's not because of the dead Christ versus the risen Christ. Why is it that you understand they don't? Uh, my understanding is because they f- tend away from images. Because of the whole false idol thing yeah. and the Ten Commandments yeah. where similar and with saints that, you know, all yeah. those things, right? And that's that's not all Protestant. It's really hard to, to paint with yeah, a broad yes, brush when yes, you're talking yes, about yes, Protestantism. Yes. But like Baptist chapels, for instance, like no images, often whitewashed, uh, to be sort of as plain as possible with the word of God enthroned in the middle. Mm. Um, that's Which really, I feel like Deb could say back to this person, well, if you really wanted to focus on the resurrection, wouldn't you like hang a giant like empty tomb instead of just a plain cross? Yeah, what is Because the cross, the cross is still Christ? an instrument of death. Right. Back in the time of Jesus, right? It would yeah. be like displaying a guillotine. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and that's why, why like... I say, okay, it sounds good on the surface, but when you start to dig into it, I have trouble taking it really seriously because you can interpret these things in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. And like, like you could come back and say, what is a cross without Christ? What is that supposed to do for me? Right. Right. Um, or you could, you could have the retort that you had. Um, what is bread and wine without, you know, the, 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 the institution, <laughs> the institution of the Eucharist at the last yeah. supper. I mean, all those things in our faith, they have value because yeah. of, you know, what Christ did. So yeah, and so, like, I just I guess final point on that is that I've also heard not in this sort of frame of the question, mm-hmm. but just people who struggle with focusing uh, on the passion of Christ, and like for instance, the Stations of the Cross, right? People like, you remember the de- who, death part too much. Yeah, and who want to add another station just to be like, and he rose. And it's like, we know he rose. We proclaim that. Right. Um, and it's okay to focus on like one of the mysteries of Christ right. for a while without having to be like, and all the others immediately. Right. It can actually be really profitable. Something that I've done during Lent um, is I'll take a gospel and just read the passion narrative of that gospel over and over. Um, like I did that once every day for Lent. I would read the passion according to John. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was an extremely profitable practice. Yeah. And while I'm reading it, it I'm not like, oh, and, and that's the end. Like I know that he's risen. You're like darn. And that's why his passion and death like are so important. So... Um, I'm I'm sure I'm going to get a hot take from Father Paul on this or some passion. So why not then combine all of the greatness of like the cross plus the resurrected Jesus on the cross? You've seen it, right? Some churches have it. 
Where they'll drape the, like a white cloth. Well, no, no, like Jesus is resurrected. Oh, the resurrexifix. Resurrucifix, wouldn't it be? I always called it a resurrexifix. Resurrucifix. Yeah, but if you go resurrection-ifix, okay. <laughs> resurrexifix. But you know what I mean? Some A lot of right. churches have that. Uh, yeah, the church it looks like Christ is, is like, like is like trying to fly off the, the <laughs> cross. <laughs> or his hands are off of it, not nailed yeah. to it. And it's not like the crown, not bloodied Jesus, but glorified yeah. Jesus. And then you have the cross. He's defeated death. I can already see the head shake, so we'll uh, move on I, to the next question. I don't know, man. It's like, <laughs> it's like nice idea in theory, poor execution in practice. Right. I just, um, those have never really yeah. evoked any particular devotion uh, or movement of faith for me. yeah. yeah. It again seems like we're afraid of facing suffering and the passion for what it is. And like Christ <laughs> dove into it head first mm -hmm. as our leader and perfecter in the faith, like Hebrew says, so that we don't have to be afraid of it. Yeah. Um, so that we can be strengthened like the martyrs. It's St. Joseph had today. It was St. Martin of Tours. Okay, he wasn't a martyr. Bad, bad example. <laughs> Joseph had was. But like, but like we, we hold the martyrs in such high esteem yeah um not because of their own heroism but because you see the grace of god manifest so clearly in yeah. allowing them to suffer joyfully um knowing that christ has already conquered death absolutely um and so to me this seems much more like there there is an aspect of it where it's like protestantism tends to shy away from images um and maybe that's a question like why do catholics have images right um maybe somebody should some ask that time. yeah somebody should ask that question yeah um and then on the other side i think it's it's sort of not wanting to look at just the ugliness the brutal suffering of the cross that christ underwent for us and generally and we talked about it in kind of our grieving like yeah. addition we don't I, no one does we don't like to talk about death no, we don't like to I'm talk about suffering easy. we don't it is yeah it's not so all right next question also deb shout out for putting your name great job yeah thank you we deb, actually have three questions today with all names Sweet. no anonymous so we're, we're getting through to the people here we go tj asked this he said following up on the saint joseph consecration hmm. one so he said um he read uh, the consecration of St. Joseph, the wonders of the spiritual father of our spiritual father. My wife and I read this book with another couple at the beginning of the year. It helped immensely in fostering our devotion to St. Joseph. So kudos. Great job. Have awesome. either of you listened to Jordan Peterson's biblical series on the psychology mm -hmm. significance of the Bible stories, mainly Genesis? So he asks us, I'm wondering if you think there's value in information like this non-Catholic, non-religion critique on the importance of the Bible, or you think information like this can be misleading or contradictory to our Catholic teachings? That's a really good question. Great one. Great. Yeah. I, I love this yeah. question because a lot of people, I'll just be completely honest. If I tell somebody, oh, I drew a source from this talk or, or was researching something or read something non-Catholic, some Catholics freak out about that or like, no, you can't do. do that. You're Catholic. <clears throat> And so, yeah. um, obviously, specifically in this with the biblical one, I have not looked at this series. I don't know if you have. Um, 
I want to treat the broad question first. Right. We'll get into Jordan Peterson slightly at the end. Great. But, um, so w- that dynamic you described is is accurate. I experience that all the time. Sometimes people want to know even like what is what is the the approved Catholic Bible, right? <laughs> right. Um, and I'll be like, well, I don't know. RSV CE two is a great one. Uh, NAB RE is. Good. That's what we use in the lectionary, lectionary mostly. Yeah. Um, Jerusalem Bible for those who want to go that direction. Right. Uh, Dewey Rames. <laughs> um, like, but I think their desire, and it's a good desire, so I don't want to ridicule it, mm-hmm. um, but it does manifest itself in kind of funny ways when it goes too far on its own. Right. It's this good desire to, to like stay true and faithful to the truth mm-hmm. and to to have the truth in its fullness um, and not to allow any admixture of error in there. Like that's a good desire. Right. And that's the same desire about like, can I listen to a talk uh, or, or listen to a talk on the Bible by a non-Catholic. Right. right? Um, now something I'm just going to shout out University of Dallas here, something that they emphasize very strongly mm-hmm. is the importance of critical thinking. Right. Um, and also that, Franciscan did that. Shout out Franciscan. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't We don't have the monopoly on critical thinking yeah, yeah. at University of Dallas. <laughs> Only critical um, But But they emphasize that so strongly. So we've read a whole variety of sources, um, but with a critical mind. Right with a critical eye, um, making judgments like, "Is this true? What do I think about this?" Right, and that's what you you can't get around that. You can't get around that and just say, "This is the approved list of sources." Of course, we have like, we have the teaching of the church in its clarity. Right, right. Um, but for the entire history of the church, <laughs> um, and even before that, even in Revelation itself, you have a a mixture of uh, like sort of Judaism and Greek philosophy coming together in books like the wisdom of Solomon, for instance. Um, You have a play from Greek literature quoted in the acts of the apostles, right? um, As well as sayings of some of the Greek philosophers. And so like this question is actually a very old question. It goes back to like this, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? What is like pagan wisdom through the Greek and Roman philosophers have to do with the revelation of God in Jesus Christ um, and through the scriptures? Yeah. And like Pope Benedict has this, this wonderful take on that because that was a big thing in biblical scholarship for a while was trying to separate out the two right? and say like anything Greek is a, an accretion or um, a distillation of the purity of revelation through the Jewish people and then in Jesus Christ. Um, but Pope Benedict, uh, among others, o- along with like the whole history of the church, was like, <laughs> no, from the beginning, these two were married together because truth can't contradict truth, right? If somebody says something that's true, even if they're not Catholic, then it's still true. <laughs> if somebody says something insightful, um, even if they're not Catholic, then it's still insightful. Right. Um, 
And we need the lens of our faith to be able to make those judgments accurately, to be able to think critically with eyes of faith. But I don't think that we should ever reject uh, something just because of like the person who's saying it. Right. We can be suspicious about it. And so with Jordan Peterson, like we know that he is a very insightful man, that he gets a lot of things right. We also know that he holds a version of Christianity, which is kind of weird and, yep. if I remember correctly, quite Gnostic and very influenced by the the Jungian archetypes and mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So like, I haven't gone deep into his, his Genesis yeah, reflections or anything. I remember when, when he was like going viral for a while, a couple of years ago, and it seems like he did a lot of good in, in a certain way, but like you have to take it with a grain of salt. Right. And that's true of pretty much everything. And I just want to reiterate what I'm hearing you say for our listeners. You have that critical eye. I try to look at that critical eye on Catholic writings and non-Catholics. Just yeah. to just affirming what you're saying is <laughs> we're called to do that in all things. Now we're not called it shouldn't make us a skeptic of our faith and, you mm-hmm. know, being like, I don't believe anything the church teaches, but to have a critical eye of what is written by a Catholic, a non-Catholic, you know, yeah. anybody. Yeah, to, to think about what you're reading. And and really what it boils down to is forming our conscience, right? Like yeah. to be able no, to say, I know what the church believes and this is a great little, you know, nugget here for me to take, but this is not really applicable to us over here, you know? Right. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's so many different ways that we could go with this. If, uh, if we wanted to spend like a full episode, on it. like, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, because like a fundamentalist reading of the Bible, right. Is essentially a reading of the Bible, uh, trying to avoid using your reason. It's, uh, it's reading the Bible without a critical eye trying to be like as safe as possible right but god created us with reason and we have to use it there is no like sidestepping that right whether it's listening to someone reflecting on the scriptures or um or reading a book that somebody wrote that says something about the faith or whether it's reading the scriptures ourselves, like we have to use the reason that god gave us absolutely um in our search for truth and Little last point, I see it with my own son. I can only imagine this making you cringe, but like our current generation just goes, oh, what does Google say? Oh, let me just check. Right. Like we we haven't been as trained as much in that aspect to actually like verify facts, actually dive yeah. in deep. We'll just, uh, what does the Bible say on this? And we type it in, first one pop up and like, oh, I'm sure this is close. This is good. I mean, I see it all the time with our yeah. teenagers, young adults, different people like that. And so, um, okay, let's get one more question in because we're long-winded. Um, Allie, um, Allie asked this. She says, this is the first time in my life that I'm exploring my faith and have been reading the Bible every day for about a year now. Shout awesome. out. Great job, Allie. Great job, Allie. If I had a... Um... Yes. Hey, hey. Yes, We Allie. got a drop. Allie, yes. you got a drop. We haven't, we haven't done a drop in a while. That makes me happy when we do that. Okay. There is one part in the New Testament that always sticks out to me and almost confuses me all the time. Okay. Matthew 15, 21 through 28 says this. It's about the faith of the Canaanite woman. When she Mm. asked Jesus for his mercy and he responds with this in verse 24, he answered, 
I was sent only I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yeah. She then says, um, one yes, of the, I have, you know, one of the many questions with the passage in the Bible, why would Jesus have such a response? Aren't all humans God's children? Mm. Um, could you guys help shed some light? Appreciate it. By the way, I watched the podcast on YouTube. They're amazing and so helpful. Well, we appreciate you listening and watching and all of that, Allie. Great question. You're the best, Allie. Yeah. I, and that is a great question. Like, I get a lot of people that ask about this verse. Yeah. Um, I preached about this last year. Well, so a few things that, I mean, you're the biblical expert, but... I'm the, I'm the Bible guy. <laughs> you're the Bible that's, guy. That's what, that's what they call me. A um, few things I've heard tossed out. You, yeah. you know, I'm sure you could, with a critical eye, you could reject mm, them or anything yeah. like that. A um, few things is about similar with the rich young man in scripture, isn't it about like Jesus asking and their desire of something? So responding initially because she is a Canaanite and then her, like it is her continuous response. No, I desire this Lord. And then saying yes. And he ends up healing her daughter um, with disabilities. Um, Second is the example to the apostles who are gathered there around who probably had this perceived, you know, idea that, you know, she's a Canaanite kind of why are we dealing with her she's bothering us and then the you know that might not be as you know uh big and then the third is that (laughs) we don't know jesus's ways he was a perfect person (laughs) i mean like yeah like he knows that woman's heart he knows what she needed to come to know Mm -hmm. like the lord and so i don't know and also, you would know this part, which I'm really curious on. I believe, I want to say, back in college when this verse was talked about in one of our uh, principles of biblical study classes, didn't I also read that dogs is the incorrect translation? Isn't it more like puppy? Not puppy, but, you, you know, it's not as severe as people think, like, mangy dog, get away. I I I thought I remember the translation saying it wasn't as severe as that. And so once again, we conjure this, conjure this up in our heads as mm-hmm. this big thing. So that's my uh, biblical analysis. Now you can clean it up. I mean, you actually like, can you play that drop for yourself? Because, oh. oh yeah. Because Heck yes, I can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would play for you, but you haven't given me any power. Uh, this podcast. Nor, I'm it's just the, the only I'm just it's the, the only thing guy. I can hold on to. <laughs> it's the only thing uh, for a sense of control. No, you made a lot of really good points, and they were a lot of this, a lot of similar points as I was going to make. Great. So, uh, I like to start with um, your penultimate point, second to last. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for Sorry. us commoners. <laughs> Sorry. Um, which is that Jesus is a perfect person. You can also say it as like, God is love, right? We know that. That has, if, if anything has been clearly revealed through the scriptures, it's that. <laughs> right. Um, and I think we tend to forget that when we encounter things that are difficult and we're like, well, I guess God is love and Jesus is, is God and so love incarnate, um, but he seems like he's being petty here. It's like that should, or, or I don't know, uh, irritable, 
Um, and so that should make us think twice, right? This is one of those moments where it's like, mm, doesn't match up. Let me dig deeper and try and understand this. What is another possible in- interpretation? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing you said about the puppies is important. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's actually. Well, I, I well, kind of remember something no, no, like no, that. No, you're right. Um, the the word in Greek for dog is kunon, and uh, to this is a diminutive of that. So it's it's like the difference between like um, padre and uh, padrecito in Spanish, like you know a little yeah. It's and it's a term of endearment in a way, um, by making it smaller. Right. That's what you have here. It's kunariois. It's uh not kuna. It's not kunon in Greek dog, but it's kunarion, which is a diminutive, and can still be used for dogs, but has that diminutive sense to it, which right. might make it a little bit softer yeah. in a sense of endearment. Okay. So those are two points. Um. God is love. We have to, so we have to investigate further. Uh, there may be some things lost in translation at first glance. Um, and then to go deeper into it, uh, I think it was your first point that you made was that like the effect of this conversation mm-hmm. is to elicit deeper faith from her. Um, like her persistence in faith is incredible and he says what something like i've i've never seen a woman great is your faith let it be done to you as you wish and from that day and uh her daughter was healed from that hour like great is your faith (laughs) for a woman who is not jewish but pagan um right the canaanite right yeah the canaanite like like that's a big deal. Um, great is your faith to find great faith out there, and so it comes from this provocation. So when I read this, I like to think of Jesus as like toying with her a little bit, um, like smirking a little when he says it, because she makes such a great response to it, right? She like she like buys into the logic and then just just goes deeper and displays this really great faith. Um, and I don't know, it, it also makes me think a little bit, like like we don't know. We don't know facial expressions. We don't know tone. Um, but we do know that like when God expresses his love, which he does in every action of Jesus Christ, it doesn't always look like we think love should look like. Right. Right? Like when he's condemning the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's expressing his love when he's overturning tables in the temple, in the yeah. temple and driving out the money changers. Like that is an expression of God's love. Um, it doesn't look like we want it to look like uh, yeah. this kind of like soft and fuzzy <laughs> or, or even something more robust, but it doesn't look always. And so when we have something like that, revealed in the scriptures to us that should challenge our understanding of what love is right and not the other way around um and that's that's again what i mean by like sort of the the sort of critical thinking and letting yourself be formed by by these truths of yeah. our faith and then being able to use that to, to judge other truths and things that was great
Great question. Yeah. I love it. Um, awesome, Make sure Ellie. if you are interested in submitting a question, how can they do that? They can do it one of two ways, prodigal and the priests um, at, at gmail.com gmail. and uh, stanneparish.org slash PTP, PTP. Um, and uh, you can submit a question there. We love receiving your questions. We'll try to get to all of them. Patty, we're still uh, working on yours. Oh, um, we're making we, progress. We're making progress. We Father Paul reached out to a friend who is going to do a little interview with us on the uh, Byzantine Rite. So uh, yeah. um, we have not forgot <laughs> you. <laughs> Patty. <laughs> <laughs> Don't unsubscribe to our page. <laughs> um, so on behalf of uh, Joey Scancella, Father Paul Bechter, we thank you for listening and we want to say take care. And God bless. <laughs>